0: I really learn a lot from my guests. During my pre-interview with today's guest, we were kicking around ideas. Which of the many topics we could talk about should we focus on? We spoke about the pre-COVID merger that she led and how organizations that merge have to, quote, unbecome something to become something else, end quote. The phrase has really stuck with me. It's felt like a nearly existential way of thinking about my own journey, especially but not exclusively in 2020. And for sure, nonprofit organizations came face-to-face with the realization that their systems, their processes, their revenue models, their own leadership styles, all of them had flaws of one sort of another. How does this process of unbeing look like? How does a nonprofit leader tackle Better yet, embrace becoming something else rather than hoping things return to something that we used to call normal. We've all been talking about innovation, but today's guest isn't sure that's what we're aiming for. She has useful insights that surface from her decades of nonprofit experience, her own journey in 2020 and a kind of overall wisdom that led her to create a framework for the work ahead of for all of you as the post-COVID world begins to emerge. What does it take for you and your organization to become something else? That's a conversation worth a listen, don't you think? Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at JoanGary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission, to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. As CEO of the nonprofit media company PRX, Kerry Hoffman has played a key role in building and evolution of PRX and led the launch of the Radiotopia podcast network, The Moth Radio Hour, Reveal, and recently managed all aspects of PRX's merger with Public Radio International. She was recently named Podcast Executive of the Year by Adweek. For more than 15 years, PRX has operated public radio's largest distribution marketplace, offering thousands of shows, including This American Life, Snap Judgment, and more. Named one of Fast Company's 10 most innovative companies in media in both 2015 and 2017, the company has pioneered new approaches to content, talent, and technology. Carrie, Thank you so much in advance for what I know will be a thought-provoking conversation.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. As a listener of this show, I really appreciate the service that you give to those of us out there in the trenches running nonprofits. Um, I I love that you're a listener. So um, tell me about your path to nonprofit leadership um, and how you found your way to public radio. Like uh, many of your listeners who have had a career in nonprofit organization, it always starts with rebellion. I think that's really the seed that gets planted first. Yep. And then, you know, along that journey, uh, dissatisfaction enters its way in, and then hope enters its way in, and then we kind of juggle all three of those things <laughs> kind of regularly. <laughs> I love that
0: actually. Yeah, is sort of this notion of wait, I don't like that. Wait, that's wrong. Wait, I should do something about that. Wait, if I do something about it, it will get better.
1: Totally. And and really, as a young person, you know, I started my career doing environmental work, but I've worked for human rights organizations, education reform, and I have really found my way in this work, and I have really dedicated my career to it. And my roles have all gravitated toward operations, governance, money, And there's a version of that which doesn't sound uh, all that sexy or interesting. Uh, It's not like frontline behind the mic work, as it were. Or rebellious, actually,
0: necessarily.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. But it really can be. And I really have appreciated over my career the importance and essential role that good governance plays, that good money management plays. And so I have really embraced those strengths and the opportunities that I've had. Um, it's, um, it's foundational. I used to call
0: yeah. this so sort of this building the strong infrastructure enables, right, enables rebellion, actually. And, and, and so it's central. Um, For the be- benefit of listeners who might be unfamiliar, can you do a quick 411 for us on PRX and maybe the sort of the elevator pitch on the merger with PRI and sort of what. So start with the 411 on PRX, and then maybe talk a little bit about uh, the merger.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so as you said in uh, your opener, you know, PRX is a nonprofit public media company and we specialize in audio. So there's lots of public media and video, but we specialize. In audio and we curate shows, we create shows, we build technology that helps the monetization of podcasts, public radio shows. And we also, um, a couple of years ago, we really got into the training business because we knew that making a good podcast actually is a lot harder than it looks, <laughs> you know that I do, and uh, so we created a training program and a community based studio to help all of that ecosystem grow and like we really consider ourselves field builders in this work mm-hmm. and and when we you know when we were navigating the terrain and the island of public media um we ended up merging with Public Radio International. We thought of ourselves as kind of siblings born a generation apart, if you will. That's the easiest way for me to describe it. Okay. We had some, it was, our opportunity was sort of beyond a partnership over a project because we actually shared the same customers. We shared many of the same funders. We shared a lot of the same DNA, like we had a a spirit of an indie label inside of our industry. And so it made really good sense for us to come together. And the promise of that is that we build a public radio, public media company, really, that has an aim toward the future. What's uh-huh. the new talent? How do we do that field building? How do we pull all those things together? And in the meantime, we also uh, reduced probably about a million dollars worth of fees to our combined customers wow. just over duplication, et cetera. So, in many mm-hmm. ways, it was really successful for what we set out to do. It sounds like too, if we can, if
0: we actually link what you said about money and operations and governance, that those superpowers of yours were probably mighty handy in navigating a merger.
1: Well, <laughs> I'd never been through a merger, you know, and this is how it goes, right? You're not, you don't have experience in a merger until you're in one, even if you've had experience in a merger. So that's sort of like the joke. <laughs> and and so, yes, those things, those things become um guideposts in some ways. Mm-hmm. They become mile markers in other ways. And um somebody, somebody advised me early on in our merger to don't think of it like a like chess pieces that you're putting together and you're combining activities, so take a step back, take a beat, and really imagine how we will reorganize across two totally different things that was It was just perfect advice at the perfect time, you know how that works and and so I've thought a lot about how we get stronger mm-hmm. um, as we manage manage through, and one of the reasons why you and I talk so much about. Unbecoming and becoming, like one literal way, for through a merger is unbecoming two organizations to become one. I mean, that's the most that's the most literal application of that.
0: So we could spend an entire podcast just dissecting your merger, but I, I, I don't actually want to. I, um, I've done some podcasts about merging, and maybe you'll come back and talk some more about that specifically, and we can kind of get under the hood of it. But I, I want to I land on this phrase of unbecoming X and becoming Y. I mean, it's, it is probably – a merger is probably one of the most <clears throat> practical, sort of tangible examples of that. But it felt like when you talked about it in our pre-interview, it felt more like a, a leadership philosophy for you.
1: Well, exactly. And like, as days go by, and as our merger is more successful, too, it's we don't even talk about it as much anymore, because that's part of the point, right? So what are the things that we, what are the threads that we pull, pull on? And how do we learn? And I've thought a bit about um, this language that we apply. And so sometimes when I think about what becoming means, it's like, well, aren't we all becoming something tomorrow different than today? Like it's a bit fluid. It it gives a nod to growth and adaptability and those kinds of things. But unbecoming actually is what we do with intent. That's the harder part. And in in some ways, the combination of these two words is kind of how we navigate what we value and also how we determine like, what doesn't serve us where we're going? Like, what are the things we got to leave behind? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think 2020 has taught so many in the nonprofit sector is like, how do we emerge stronger? Like there's lots of things, even for our organization that were helps propel us to be successful. And those same things might not propel us for the next round of success. So, we have to we have to we have to get comfortable in that um undoing <laughs> undoing redoing um you know how do we how do we get uh, how do we find the fuel we need and that fuel is like it's not just money although that's critical it's motive it's will it's energy it's um commitment it's mission it's all of those things too
0: well when I think about too about this notion of sort of unbecoming i mean there was some We were forced in some ways, as individuals, as human beings, during a global pandemic, to unbecome certain things right we We were forced to become less social right and what so what did that mean for us or you know i um, I suspect i 'm not um, unusual in this. I could be a complete and utter workaholic during two thousand and twenty because i wasn 't going out to dinner or to the movies, mm-hmm. but all of us so i you know so I became even more of a workaholic if my kids could even imagine that scenario <laughs> right but as i as we are emerging from, I realize that 's not who I want to be. I want to unbecome that yeah. right and um and so I think that there's a lot of so much personal reflection going on for people right about now, as we are now, you know, sort of certainly not post pandemic, but emerging from 15 months of uh, trauma and uh, terror for some people, that it do- has actually forced us to look at who the heck are we and what do we like about ourselves? <laughs> not to, I, I know this is a little bit too ph- philosophical, but like, what do we want to unbecome when we get to the other side
1: yeah, and i I think too that um, what yeah there's silver linings, of course, but beyond the silver linings, what are those things i've done a lot of thinking and reflection on you know I run an organization, and I was familiar, very familiar with half of it now i ha like so i I have Things that I carry with me that I've got to let go of. Right. I I'm a I'm a white woman who works in an industry that needs to be diversified, and we're and I'm and I really want our organization to have strong impact for the future. And the future audience is more diverse. It's younger. And so, what does that mean for me? What do I What do I see? What do I hear? How do I feel? How is that different this year than last year? And what are those things that need an excavation? You know, how do we become more equitable? How do we become more inclusive? And in many nonprofit organizations, and ours is no different, there's a way that we kind of feel like you need to know everything about us in order to be successful. So that's like a notion that I'm trying to undo because we need people who want to work for us, who don't come from our industry, who come from other industries and they want to bring their skills and their, their assets and their perspective. You know, what are those things that are kind of rooted in mission, but everything else is open and like it can go in a different direction.
0: You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I know that podcasts and um video uh are relevant in the moment but i i i probably the thing that that one of the many things that worries me because i i happen to be very good at worrying is that several years from now this will fade like we'll forget and i i like, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and that others are having these conversations and they're being recorded so that so that we actually have a record of what it felt like during and after so that we actually don't forget. And I, I assume that must be part of when you think about the sort of the mission of the work that you do that, that I hadn't really thought about it until just now, but it does strike me that it, it has, it's one of the values of the work that you do is that it provides a n- no pun intended here. It provides a record.
1: Yeah. Um, it's very. I like that notion because when I was when I was listening to you describe that, which is how do we save not for posterity, but for accountability? Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we make that shift and, and remember and remember our good intent and how is that matched with action. And, um, and when we, and you know, we gotta, we're all, we're on the long game too. So how do we make sure that we pick up the right things along that, along that path? And like, and as a, you know, we're in a human endeavor here, right? So we're going to pick up the wrong things. We're going to lose the right things. I mean, that's the kind of, that's, that's what this is about. But I, I do, I do think that, um, the that match of intent of what we just have to be really honest about like what doesn't work anymore right and like I come from a an organization that has had a lot of pride in our entrepreneurial spirit just like a startup mentality I'm not positive that was going to suit us for what we need to do because the work we need to do actually takes a different kind of thinking yeah different kind of rush that's yeah. so
0: interesting, so you had also said too, when we were doing the unbecoming, becoming something else, the sort of um you put sort of activities in the unbecoming bucket and impact in the becoming yeah. something else bucket. Talk a little bit about that. I thought you had some really interesting things to say there when we were talking,
1: yeah, I think that one of the um, one of the uh things I use as kind of a muse as as I'm doing some planning with with my team is. Uh, that that pyramid that we are all traversing of like what are our activities like those things that we all know that we do right and then moving up 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 a rung on that base is like what's our unique perspective on the world and that is and honestly a lot of nonprofit organizations they exist in those two spaces we do these things we feel we feel we're unique in this way and so really the the path that I really want to be thoughtful about traveling is how do we get to who we are, right. like really are, like we internalize it. Our board is able to internalize it. Our staff is able to internalize it. And it, it can't be so global that it justifies all those activities, but it has to be really laser focused on the impact we want to have in the world. And one of the things I've heard you talk a lot about is not just how organizations do something in a community of organizations doing something, but really like what would not be possible if you didn't exist. Exactly. That, like that's a, that's a different, that's a differentiator on another level. And so, um, and, and we also have activities to juggle and manage. So it's not a pretty business, right? Like we have to, we have to evaluate. Um, but as we get clearer about the filters that we want, our values, our partners who we want to work with and how we want to lock arms and and move through the things that we want to see better and change in the world well then i think it becomes a bit easier to decide what we're not going to do
0: yep and i and i do think that that um in a world that for a a significant period of time like just felt kind of meaningless like it's like this this Virus is just, it's everywhere. Am I going to survive? Like there was just a, just a, it just seemed like a vacuum of purpose and meaning. And for your organization to come out of this and not to focus on activities front and center, but instead on who are we? What, what difference do we make in the world? And one of the questions that we've asked when we do strategic visioning work is, we ask each person as we're doing stakeholder interviews, tell us a story about a day at work that felt magical. That's great, <laughs> right? That felt magical, because um, that's when you glean the the gem, the treasure about what impact looks like. And I, I was actually I was uh, doing a, a, a keynote virtual keynote speech last night, and I. We're t- I was um, grabbing from Jim Collins, Good to Great in the Social Sector, and he uses the Cleveland Orchestra as an example of uh, metrics and measuring success. And, you know, you can measure success based on the success of your activities yeah. or your activities could be a vehicle to that impact. Right. And he talked about rather than just simply talking about the number of tickets that they sold or whether they increased their revenue year over, over year, they wanted to have a distinctive impact on their audiences. And so they, you know, one of their measures, measures was as simple as did we have more standing ovations this year than we did last year? Right. Yeah. And, and that's that sort of magicalness that I think, you know, I'd love to see more nonprofits both get back to the fundamentals and do those right, but also to really kind of grab onto their own, grab onto their own magic.
1: One of the things I love about the prompt you said that you use is that um, it's very intentional around a day, an experience, an hour, a meeting. Do you know what I mean? And like, so this is some of the trap that we all get into when we think about impact and innovation and vision and et cetera. Like, you can you can start to shoot so uh, vague and so broad that you forget that, like, actually, if we speak in simple language and we speak in emotion around what actually makes us feel valued, what makes us feel meaningful, and recognizing that that sense of value is not the same for everyone, depends on how you come here, what your path is. All, you know, what makes you, you. Oh. And so, but it really can be articulated in small ways that can amount to something. And then, then the patterning of that is something, something altogether different. Somebody said to me, I heard this piece of advice uh, that somebody shared with a group of women leaders a while ago, and it, I've used it so many times the advice was like, do what you love because the patterns will naturally emerge. And I think about that a lot because its um, I've, I find myself in conversations a lot around like uh, people wanting to know what's the strategy here? What's the vision? Where are we going? And, and sometimes it's a lot closer than right. we know. Right,
0: absolutely. You're listening to Nonprofits are Messy. Thank you for joining me today. In case you haven't picked up my latest book, during COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my first edition of Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is in paperback, and you can learn more about it at book.joangary.com. And now back to the podcast. Um, I mentioned in the opening that we had, you and I had talked about the, this word innovation and not that you bristled at it, but you're not necessarily sort of grabbing onto it with open arms. Talk a little bit about how you think about innovation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, we make a lot of technology and sometimes the innovation word is it's used a lot in um, in technology. and And so I'm trying to move away from kind of the, shiny new toy aspect of innovation. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's the simple stuff. Somet- sometimes it's innovating in how we do things. What's our, how do we improve our efficiency? Yeah. How do, I mean, this remote uh, conversations over Zoom, mediated by Zoom, this is not going away. So how do we innovate in just feeling better about them? How do yes. we innovate around making them more personal? How do we innovate around, um, you know, reporting finances to a board so that they can uh, have, give meaningful input to how money and resources are allocated. Um, I, I've, uh, I've got a great um, Board. And we're just like the conversation around innovation is all around us. But sometimes it's just not a new initiative. <laughs> right.
0: And I, and I think that's right. I think that um, and it's up to us to frame the simple things that way. Right. Is yeah. that if you can actually explain your financial statements to a board who is not necessarily financially literate in a way that tells a story, but that tells the story of what the numbers tell us, right? That is, that's an innovative thing to do because it actually is different and it changes and it actually will have a different kind of impact. Um, So it's interesting to hear you say you have a great board. Um, Lots of people wish they could say those words. Uh, (laughs) Fair. So, uh, but let's talk about boards in general. When we think about this notion of becoming something else uh, or unbecoming, all this, this framework, right? I have generally encountered boards as sort of leaning into their risk management function, right? Making sure stuff doesn't go wrong. Yeah. And unbecoming and becoming has a certain degree of risk around it. It's uh, it's change. It's different. And I wonder if you have found, you know, how you think about boards—either your great board or others you know—are they part of the solution or are they part? Of, can they be part of the problem in this whole idea of becoming something else? Uh.
1: Oh, I I I really um so this is a real question about board volunteerism and uh what are we designing for? Are we designing for status strength in status quo or are we designing for change? We're designing for change in, in our so I, I do like that I have such a good board, but um what we just what let me just go back to the question that we were pondering a minute ago, which sure. is in the early days of our new board and new like since the merger we just spent so much energy educating the board on our activities like we were (laughs) so preoccupied with that because we were convinced that their meaningful input which we were so desperate to tap into there was only one way to do that which was to spend every board meeting presenting and presenting and presenting so that we could get them to a certain level of our complicated you know octopus style (laughs) activities Mm -hmm and And that's not not true. People have adjacent experience that if you ask the right question or if perhaps you don't do all of that activity explanation, you can get there quicker right and and it's true for new employees too i I used to spend so much energy on. Believing that the history of the paths that we 've been on somehow will make you a better future employee it 's just not true <laughs> and and when people are around for a long time, and I have been we can we can start to lose sight of you know we, we, every every victory feels so hard won, and so we tend to get preoccupied with what the past can teach us. And my, what I'm spending a lot of time is doing just like, yep, that's not needed. Yep. That's not relevant anymore. Yep. That was like a good experiment, but not, not relevant for where we're going. And so I'm now trying to really do that with the board too, which is just a, a really different way of that rather than that paradigm, which so many of us are managing, which is what are we, what how do we report to the board? What are they approving? And then you just get, you know, kind of you kind of can get into the routine of that. And so now we're trying to have a different conversation.
0: So I love your conversation about um, not just presenting and sort of what it sounds like is really focusing on how to turn your board into ambassadors and critical thinkers. And um, and I'd love for, you, for my listeners to hear about your round-robin conversations that you instituted.
1: Yeah. So this is part of, uh, we do a lot of design thinking. And so we borrowed from this. And so I have a kind of a biggish board, 24, 25 people. I think that would be considered kind of big. Mm -hmm. So our, uh, so our, our meetings, like it's, you're really presenting to a, a pretty full room. And, um, so one of the things we did is that we take three topics and we when we were doing this in person they were in three different breakout rooms and the staff it's staff so the board gets to meet different staff members so that's one plus right there but anyway the the we have almost like a proxy to have a leaded uh discussion around a very specific thing that we're wrestling with strategically and then the staff members they're 20 minute conversations. So their time boxing is super important because otherwise you can really not have a focused conversation. So we time box everything and then the staff members stay and the board moves. Okay. So the board moves in groups all around um, these conversations. There's been some, and we've done this over zoom now when we moved uh, to have virtual meetings, but it does a couple, it's unlocked a number of things for us. It, it goes into what I just was describing Um, rather than having the board wrestle with the whole, it gets them an opportunity to hear each other's questions. And as you know, questions in and of themselves, that's a form of feedback. You bet. So so sometimes when we're like, sometimes a confused board is a very valuable thing for us to (laughs) (laughs) know. And, but that, by having a small, these round robin conversations, so we do 20 minutes and the board rotates physically uh, three times. The staff also gets to um, incorporate all of the questions because they end up, we end up having every board member in one of those group meetings, and it just takes an hour. So we do it three times, and we just change it. So it gives us three deep topics at every single board meeting to dive into. So, so I love it's, that. It really worked.
0: I love that, and I, um, I think the key to it, seems to me, is. Is the – are the questions or the input of value – is the – the, ta- the table topic, is it – what I often call with my clients, is it half-baked enough so that the input or the questions that you get further shape it? So that's question one, Right. All right. Because if you don't do that, then you're actually you're sort of disingenuous about asking for input. And then the second piece, is there some kind of feedback loop where you're able to get back to the board and say, you know, that table topic we had two board meetings ago, and these were the things that came from it. I want you to know that when we finally shaped it, it involved, you know, Mary's comment about blah, 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 right? Is that that, that I think that people really struggle with engaging their boards around these things because they don't bring them at the right level and there isn't necessarily a feedback loop. And I just wonder if this is something that you've wor- worked
1: through or working through or solved for. Um, it's a, it's a really good observation. And so that, like that in general, I think round tripping to boards is very rare. Just, yes. that, just that concept is just very rare. And so um, let me back up a little bit because there's a couple there's one other thing about this is that it allows staff members who are very close to a topic area to get their skills in presenting in a two minute format mm. as well. So like and the board gets to see the up and coming leaders. So that has value. Yes. In and of itself, that that training, professional development and also exposure. So that has value. What I've learned in doing these is that what it does is it unlocks, it unlocks for board members connections that they make. So like almost in everyone, somebody will say, you know, I know someone at such and such a foundation, or I know someone who's also doing like kids podcasting and I want to introduce you to them. And so it has some other value that we've been able to really, really, really work on. But I like that idea that you just said, which is actually, uh, being more specific about the um references. Like I actually like what the phrase
0: you used, which is round tripping and I yeah. um Uh, anytime you're doing any kind of change management and you're asking for input, like I talk about that a lot is you've got to go back and say, you know, why, or if you're asking your staff for input on something um, is I might not get a, I might not get a vote, but I have a voice and I want to know that my voice got heard. And I probably want it would be really lovely if it circled back into me in some way. Um, I just, just have a couple more minutes and I have two other questions that I do want to talk about. Um, as we think about the nonprofit sector becoming something different, um, tell me about your your hopes for nonprof the nonprofit sector and the world of collaboration. <laughs> I because uh, I don't think it's something that the sector does all that well.
1: No, I agree with that, and I um, and like in you know. We uh, we've gone through a merger, and in some ways, that's a version of collaboration. It's an extreme version, but right. it is it is. I my hope is that we all we all are clearer about the shared value proposition and our differentiated roles along that path. And one like metaphor that I return to sometimes is like think of a we don't have that many to point to, but just imagine a smart city. Like we were just building a city from scratch and you wouldn't build four utility companies. You wouldn't build, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't concentrate your resources like that. You would, you would imagine like, what do we need to have life be good in this city? And then how do we build it from there? And so I, I think about metaphors like that, that allow us to like coexist and share in all of the things that we need to share and the whether it's mission or just like inside a sector or adjacent sectors, but that we we we're clearer around when we need to come together when when one organization is best at something because what ha- like it's exhausting to compete on so many levels and for us in pub, you know we have to compete with excellence in the public radio space and we have to compete with excellence in the highly commercialized podcast space and it it can feel and i'm sure this is true for many of your listeners you can feel like you've got a foot on the boat and a foot on the dock right and you're just like hanging on and so so it's not so easy to pick which direction you go, but it is easier if you look around and you say, "Who can help me do this? Who can, who do I want to partner partner with for that?" That's that's when I think of unbecoming, and becoming. I never look at it alone. Like for me, it's like a crowded it's a crowded future, of potential collaborators of potential partners, potential corporate sponsors, potential donors. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a busy, it's busy with lots of, lots of people in it. And I,
0: and I saw so much evidence of collaboration in 2020, uh, where just because of the circumstances, people just came together in different kinds of ways. And, um, And somehow or another set aside those constraints that they had previously seen. And, um, you know, that's I I share this hope that, you know, as the nonprofit, I mean, you you know, whether it's you and I also talked about like shared services. And it's really important for the sector to embrace the idea that what happened in 2020 opened our eyes to the possibility of becoming something else. You know, I hear these amazing stories of, you know, uh, an organization that thought it was going to take a year to move to telehealth and they did it in a week, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Is, is there were so many treasures in this dark space and it opens up, um, I think so much opportunity, and, and I do believe going back, you know, going back to boards, that really marketing and educating your own board about all of these things is learning the lessons from 2020 and what do, what did it make possible, and what should we hang on to, what should we unbecome. Um, right. That uh, it would be such a missed opportunity for our sector to. Um, to miss that exploration.
1: I agree. And I think funders are getting clear on this too and really making some, all like all the foundations we work with, they're doing their own strategic planning and they're asking themselves the same questions. And, um, and so I think that, you know, when, as we line up um, resources, money, partnerships, Governance, et cetera these things are um they, they'll take shape over time in some some in some ways painful and in some ways hopeful um so.
0: so you get the last word any just sort of as you think about the folks who are listening uh advice for them, any kind of piece of advice or um, something that you're holding on to as a mantra as we as we move forward
1: yes i do i i one thing that i I think about, and I reflect on is, I, you know, in some ways, twenty twenty was like the year of worry, and I would like to replace that worry with hope, mm-hmm. and 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 in order to do that, like that's the intentional part. I have right. to unbecome being worried <laughs> to just pull on this a little bit further, and I have to replace it with something, something that is more abundant, and and that's that's really so for me as a leader, I've had to be very intentional about giving myself the room for that. And that my, 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 my work life, I've, like I said, I've worked in nonprofits. And so that worry feels very familiar. It's like a, like a comfortable, comfortable coat and I need to put it down.
0: Yeah. I think that the moving to a place of abundance, uh, um, you know, it's just such an interesting thing from scarcity to abundance. It's, it's, um, maybe it's maybe it 's because our sector is um, wrongly named it 's about what we 're not right yeah, uh, yeah but but i I do think that here we are you know everyone listening to this podcast got into the sector to Fix something, right? This rebellion, this f- fire in my belly to make this different and better, to level the playing field, whatever it might be. We came because we saw abundance. We saw, uh, we saw what, what doing this could result in. What kind of an impact we could actually see it. It's what actually I think makes the nonprofit leaders pretty special, um, and and maybe sort of. Rebecoming that uh, <laughs> might be something we might want to think about going forward, yeah. so um, Carrie yeah. Hoffman, I really enjoyed the conversation um, both practically and philosophically, and um, uh, I just want to thank you for the work that you 're doing and for for really helping to create such a platform for you know schmoes like me and others to um to share insights and conversations just like this with the world it's a it's you have a really good job
1: <laughs> i think so most days yeah. <laughs> thank you uh Joe and i uh, w- like there's a whole bunch of us on our staff that are really dedicated listeners we talk about we share episodes and so thank you for not only your interest in you know, our conversation, but you're, you really contribute so much to the field. And I learn a lot um, when I tune in. So thank you.
0: Well, thanks. I look forward to hearing what your staff had to say about your appearance on this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe this one won't be shared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you get, you get to decide. Anyway, Kerry Hoffman, thanks for joining us. And uh, thank you everybody for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take good care thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.